Hello, welcome to Boss Women, a podcast about women, comedy, and business. My name's Katie, and this is my mum, Karen. Mama said there'll be days like this, there'll be days like this, Mama said. Mama said, Mama said there'll be days like this, there'll be days like this, my Mama said. Who do we have today, Karen? You right into it, Katie. Oh, sorry. Are you enjoying the sunshine, Karen? There you go. I'm absolutely sweating. <laughs> I've actually changed my outfits twice today already. It's Good. very warm. It's the warmest it's the year, day of the year so far, which is uh, great in lockdown. And we are inside, forcing somebody in indoors. To I know, but a cortical, a I'm very lucky. I have a garden, so after this, I'm right out to the garden. Straight out there, yeah. <laughs> Good. Who do we have, Karen, then? Yes, we have a wonderful guest today, the wonderful Morag Fullerton. Morag is a director of theatre, film and television and also a writer. Morag is artistic director of Play Pie and a Pint at Oromore in Glasgow. TV work includes Scott and Bailey, Rebus, Taggart, River City, and that's just to name a few. Gilda Bloon has worked with Morag um, on many occasions uh, with presenting uh, plays such as Casablanca, The Gin Joint Cut, Patsy Klein and a Bottle of Wine, and Doris Dolly and the Dressing Room Divas. Welcome, Morag. Welcome, Oh, Morag. thank you, ladies. You. Delighted <laughs> to be here. I, I'm, I'm getting sure fed that, up of all that sun anyway. I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But there's so much more I could say about you, but um, these are... Um, because I was just looking at your backdrop there and you worked with Robbie Coltrane, didn't you, on Mr. Biffo, who Mr. is... Mr. Obuffo. Mr. Obuffo, yes. Mr. <laughs> yes, that's what's on in the backdrop there, I think. Yeah, so that was the comic mysteries, but um, we kept the all right. name, Mr. Yeah. Obuffo, but that's what it means, comic mysteries. Yeah, all right, all right. It was a one-man right. show by Robbie Coltrane um, uh, way back, uh, presented as part of the City of Culture in Glasgow. Oh, God, and, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, I uh, subsequently that, yeah. televised on BBC Two and Four Parts, yes. so it was, a, it was a great show. So probably not very good for people that are listening to this. Uh, to no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I saw so, a picture of Robbie Coltrane. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we'll go right back uh, and we'll talk about, obviously, your, your current lockdown situation and all the things that are happening now a bit later on. But let's go back and start with your childhood. Where did you grow up um, and what was uh, growing up like? So I grew up, my very early years were in Germany. I grew up in Cologne and Hamburg uh, because my dad was posted there and he was in the RAF. And so that's where we were for my first sort of three or four years. And then after that, I uh, came back to Scotland and um, grew up in Castle Douglas, if you've heard of Castle Douglas, down in the southwest in Kirkubishire. Mm -hmm. uh, just quite a small town, so... Is it near Fort Patrick? No, it's not. <laughs> it's, well, I suppose it's called you. near. It's probably about 60 miles from Fort Patrick. Right, so okay. Fort Patrick is Wigtonshire, and Kakubishire right. is just a little bit further along. But it's probably one of the least visited parts of Scotland because it's tucked away in that southwest corner, so not mm -hmm. that many people know about it. 
Nice. But that, that's where I spent my formative years. And did you, did you love it? Yeah, I still got some family down there. It was a very nice place to grow up um, yeah. because it was very, five miles from the Solway. It's got its own microclimate, so it's quite warm. So we would, we would be able to go to the seashore all the time in the summer. Oh, and yeah, it was, it was, I enjoyed growing up there. Mm-hmm. Have you got um, siblings? Yes, I've got two sisters and one brother. And uh, brother and sister are still in Castle Douglas. And, and where are you in the, in the... I'm second. So I've got an older sister and a younger sister and a younger brother. Yeah. <laughs> did you all get on as kids? Yeah, we did. Uh, I think it was tough for my brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think he got... He, he got uh, well, surprisingly, I think we were quite tough on him as girls. Um, <laughs> to have wrestling matches with him. <laughs> Good on you. Yeah. Um, but we all, we all, we all got on pretty well. It's was he happy. the older or the youngest? Youngest. He no, was... the, the third sister's the youngest. Right. So, so where, where's the boy? There's two girls. There's, there's the older sister, me, then my brother, ah. and after that, my sister, my other, my youngest sister. Right. So big you, you and your big sister were hard on your brother. A little bit. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, listen, I had four brothers. He probably deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose he was just outnumbered, and that was it. So the girls, yeah, yeah. you yeah, didn't dress exactly. him up in clothes and stuff. No chance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, he wasn't that bullied. No, no. He so he fought back, did he? Yeah. He did, yeah. But then we also we were well. Certainly, I was a bit of a tomboy. I used to play football. I used to play cricket. You know, mm-hmm. enjoyed all that. Yeah. So. Yeah. And tell us about your mom and dad. What were they like? What did they do when um, you were good? Well, as I was saying, my dad was in the RAF. Um, oh, yeah. um, was he a pilot? No, he wasn't a pilot. No, he was an engineer. All right. Yeah. So, but he never flew. But also, he missed the war. He was he he was doing his national service. That's when we were in Germany. Mm-hmm. So he was just a boy during the war. Um. So uh, then when he when he came out of the RAF, he was an engineer and he he um he worked down in in Kukubushar, a place called the Range, which um I don't really know much about, but mm-hmm. obviously his dad worked at the Range, <laughs> <laughs> and um. A, my mum didn't work basically and um, she, she she was a mum and a housewife a homemaker I think we're called and uh, not really until dad used to say hey, the Wayne's are grown up now why don't you get a wee job oh, I quite like just daft <laughs> oh, so, oh. so um, she was uh, she was a lovely woman I adored my I'm very happy childhood I have to say very happy childhood <clears throat> adored both my parents um you know usual teenage rows and all that kind of thing uh but um i got on very well with them both and uh they 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 just had a very nice attitude it was basically do whatever makes you happy <laughs> they, they yeah, sound they like were. they they sound like they were quite funny good fun yeah my dad was particularly he was a great laugh uh-huh. he you know he was he probably in another life i think would have been a performer Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think he might have even been a frustrated performer because whenever he got the chance, he went for it. Yeah. <laughs> just burns nights and things like that. And he also played the bagpipes, so he was he was in great demand. Yeah, great. Like, great storyteller, very very funny man. Yeah, yeah. probably a bit of, more of an influence certainly 
in my working life than my mum was. Um, really? Although um, my mum didn't work, she influenced me and I said she was, she was a very honest person, you know, and she would always say never a borrower or a lender be, and, mm -hmm. you know, just, just trust your own instincts. So lots of common sense from mum. Yeah. Did she yeah, teach you to cook and things like that? Or? Oh, no, she couldn't cook. She was a terrible cook. <laughs> <laughs> she was a homemaker. Well, cook. this is it. God knows what she was doing all day. What's she looking recipes? <laughs> I do remember this story once. Um, we had these um, German friends that used to come sometimes because uh, of the years in Germany. My dad spoke fluent German. And a German couple had come to stay nearby and um, they had invited my parents to dinner one night and then uh, my mother made the return visit and she was getting in quite a panic trying to meet with Wiener Schnitzel and she battering the veal and everything like that. And going, and anyway, she looked like it worked out all right. So it, it was served up at the table and sort of two mouthfuls in, the German woman said, Oh, Kathleen, this is horrible. <laughs> I will eat it. I am so sorry. <laughs> well, of course. Oh, my God. Oh, well, very German as well, just to come out and say what you yeah. think. Yeah, exactly. That's great. <laughs> yeah. So, honestly. Uh, but she, was, she, she was able to laugh it off and <laughs> yeah, that's pour good. more wine. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good honor. Good honor. Um, yes, so uh, the what? Oh, do you think the do you think he could edit that out? <laughs> I think we can do that. Yeah. You please do that, Katie. Mm -hmm. uh, not that Katie does the editing. Um, anyway, anyway uh, school life. What was school life like? Yeah, what were you interested in as well? I was in well from a very early age. I was interested in the arts, really, um, painting, drawing. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, the schools I went to never had a drama. There was no drama classes then, mm -hmm. and there wasn't any kind of drama club. So I never really got exposed to that side of things. Although I always knew, I I knew I wanted to be involved in it somehow. Mm -hmm. um, so in fact, I ended up my first year at college was at art school. Um, and while there, I went to art school in Manchester, and while I was there, I joined a, a theatre group, and lo and behold, I thought, oh, this is this, I found my tribe. <laughs> I knew what mm -hmm. I wanted to do, so I yeah. switched. Yeah, but I were, you, were you at school in the 70s, 80s? Uh, no, the 70s. Mm -hmm. 70s. Yeah, because when I was at school, there was no drama club either. Yeah. I mean, it, I, like I don't think it was it was a thing in those days. No, it wasn't because my secondary school, which was Kakubi Academy, the the only thing they did was Gilbert and Sullivan's. Yeah. Which, oh God, <laughs> spare me. I mean, which was fine <laughs> if you could sing, but I can't yeah. sing. I'm a great yeah. appreciator of singers, but I I can't myself sing. So, there the, there was no involvement in performing arts for me while I was at school. Mm -hmm. But yeah. so were you rebellious, do you think? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I seem to be always getting into trouble. I mean, not, not major trouble, but not coming yeah. home to the curfew. And I, I think partly my older sister was the quieter one. She was much more, um, I, I suppose, uh, not so outgoing. And she was quite studious. And she went to boarding school and 
I was so jealous when she went to boarding school because she's like two years older than me and I couldn't wait because it was a trip up to Jenner's getting all the wee Cassius teeth need with Gwendolyn Fullerton sewed on, mm-hmm. Panama hat, kilt, all the stuff and mm-hmm. of course reading the Bunty and the Judy, the Four Marys, Midnight Feast, I couldn't wait. <laughs> <laughs> Midnight Feast, Cremola Foam, I was desperate yeah. to get to boarding school until we went to visit her. And it was a convent boarding school. And <laughs> so uh, all my dreams were shattered. So <laughs> first we got there and the door was opened by this big nun in black, vow of silence, Mother Dymphna. And I'm sure she was a very nice lady, but she was a bit scary. And yeah. then all my dreams of the dormitory, well, we got into the dormitory, it was like Stalag 17. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Cubicles, sort of dark brown curtains. Yeah. And uh, all the sort of romance that I'd read about in the Four Marys and... You I know, know, I know, it was all nonsense, wasn't it? All nonsense. So, in, so because of that, um, so I, I, I went to Kakubri Academy, which was only sort of 10, 15 miles away, sort of commuted daily. But then I, I was the one that kept getting into trouble because Gwen had gone off to boarding school. And so in the teenage years, the sort of rebellious years of 15, 16, 17, I was the one that was always staying out late kind of getting a cough, you know, where have you been? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> You're grounded. I mean, I didn't do anything terrible, but uh, yeah. So, yeah. Did you have the option to go to boarding school? Yes, I could have if I wanted to. And I had full, fully planned to do so. But as I say, I think by the third visit, when we went to visit my sister, I realised it wasn't for me. There was no boys there, either. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, I'm so glad you didn't, because... I mean, I, I can't imagine anything worse. Mm. But you yeah. know, I suppose, I suppose they try their bit. They, I'm sure, I'm sure your sister did have a midnight feast now and again. Yeah. Well, the other thing that that um, I was uh, fascinated by is in the first few years, all the girls in our class had exotic names like Anne Marie Tiger and Maria <laughs> Valenti. <laughs> <laughs> I remember like Jean McTaggart. <laughs> I also thought this was wonderfully exotic. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, go, the thing was, my parents, if Gwen hadn't enjoyed it, they would have taken her away. They wouldn't, yeah. they, they, they always said, look, if you're not, but it suited Gwen, she liked it. And, you know, she came out with 10,000 hires and O levels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was very much her choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it wasn't a good fit for me. Did your uh, did your sister and brother go to boarding school? No, no, none of the others. Just Gwen. Yeah. yeah so, yeah, you were you were to lead them into normal school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, but all this uh, rebellion it stopped once, or what? What happened? You'd have your... oh, well, I think it was just normal teenage rebellion. You know that yeah. I think it's it's more at its height at the age of sort of. 15, 16, 17. I mean, you know, it was like, you know, when I was 15, I was going out with a guy who was 19. My parents were, oh my God, my God. (laughs) Stop seeing that guy. He's far too old for you. And you say, yeah, it's okay. I won't do that. And you do it on the quiet, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And what do you think you're doing with all that makeup on? You take Mm -hmm. it off. As soon as you're outside, you put it back on again. The normal, the normal things, yeah. yeah. Katie and I didn't have all that. Katie just arrived at 13 and just became sullen. And oh, right, all right. Became, she just I, had a, a I, had a, 
I had an older boyfriend though that you I'm sure you didn't approve of at the time. He was 17 when I was 15. I know I didn't approve of him, but I didn't say <laughs> that, did I? <laughs> no, I'm actually not. quite a good kind yeah. mother. Because she are. used to go off and not tell me. And I even got her mobile phone to try and find out where she was. And I would never answer. <laughs> oh, even worse, especially because we grew up in the day of no phone. So parents yeah. were off their heads. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine, yeah. No phones a lot of the time as well. Yeah. So yeah. what made you go to Manchester Uni or, or college? What what was it you... Just college, you uh, because oh, yes, I meant to was, ask, did you get thousands of O levels and hires too? I did all right. Yeah, I had five hires. Yeah. Oh, good. Oh, okay. that's brilliant. Art, English and languages, French and German. Yeah, great. And, and um, the, I can't remember eight levels or something. So I did. I did all right. You know, yeah. even though I was probably staying up too late and doing things I shouldn't, I still managed. <laughs> I think that's the. The other common sense part of me realizing that that was important you know yeah yeah so, so what, yeah what what did did you decide what made what happened at school that made you decide to go to manchester oh well you see where, where castle douglas is it's not particularly near glasgow or edinburgh and you know my parents for their, their city shopping was in carlisle mm -hmm. so i i didn't automatically think of going to the uh, Scottish colleges mm -hmm. um, and I can't remember exactly why now uh, maybe maybe because I was accepted there um, and I think I think it's quite a good reputation so so I went to Manchester what did you apply what university hmm? sorry I'm just saying Manchester is a brilliant city oh god yeah I mean yeah, right then I, as well it's it's a uh, great city and I, I made some lifelong friends there and of course at later years I went back and worked there regularly when I was working in television so yeah, yeah. it's very similar to Glasgow in many ways it's got a great buzzy vibe yeah. and people have got a lot of spirit and cheek and chutzpah so <laughs> yeah that's good um, did I miss you saying but what what course did you go to study or was it just well, it, an it, art school well, it's the, because in those days as well at school, this probably happened to you a bit, Karen, they kind of encouraged you to do the subjects you were best at. Mm -hmm. So if you were good at geography, you kind of came a geography teacher. Mm -hmm. And so my, my subjects were languages and art, but the one that I enjoyed the most was art. So mm -hmm. I applied for art colleges and, yeah. and I got accepted in Manchester. So. Yeah, yeah, lovely. What languages do you, do you still speak languages now then? French and German. Not yeah. really, because it's so long since I've had to use them. Um, yeah. I can get by, like most of us, I can get by in these countries or if I have to. But Yeah. How many years were you at college in Manchester then? Uh, only one. Because yeah, was it just one? I, I did the foundation course. Mm -hmm. And then while I was there... I got involved in a theatre group and I thought I'm just it's I thought I'm going to try this because it's probably my only chance to see if I can get into a drama school and if I can't get in I'll stick with art but I did get in I got accepted at the Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama in Glasgow so I oh, came wow. here yeah, yeah. I came to Glasgow so that was me back in Scotland which I'm yeah. sure was absolutely fascinating especially in those in those years yeah what was it, it was. It was the most exciting time. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, 
a lot of talented people. Yes, and a lot of like-minded people and a great excitement, um, you know, because, you know, actually getting to do the thing that, that, that you love so much and you enjoy so much. And there, were, there were some great teachers on the courses. Mm -hmm. um, and um, yeah. What was your course then? Well, it's all changed now, but it was like a three-year course in, uh, I think it was called Speech and Drama. Mm -hmm. um, so you were acting? Yeah, were you a performer? Yeah, yeah, well, there were two courses at the time. Um, that was, there was only two, three courses. There was a stage management course, and then there were two performing courses. Um, there was one that was just absolutely straight acting and not a lot else. And then there was one which I did, which was a certain amount of acting but there was also an academic element to it so you studied history of theatre as well mm -hmm. and you 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 included things like you got to do a certain amount of directing dramaturgical study that kind of thing so for me at that time it was the best of both worlds yeah and if you wanted to after that course you could go on and be a teacher of drama as well which I didn't yeah. do, but you could there was the option to do that because yeah yeah, of course. So did you then become a performer or did you start no, specialising? No, I became a performer, first of all, because yeah. um, at that point, <clears throat> I just liked doing everything. I liked writing, directing, acting. Ta-da! Fridge door. <laughs> <Sure. laughs> <laughs> like, I think everybody's about the same. And I hadn't, mm. I didn't, I didn't know at that point, oh, this is, I definitely want to be a director. Because uh, I, had, I hadn't done very much of it. Um, mm -hmm. I had a little taste of it but in on the course I did in your final year you could do a thesis and it could also take you know you could for instance you could, you could do it on you know Greek drama or Beckett or but what I chose to do was to write and put on a play which fantastic I was allowed to do that right. so um, so that was my final year thesis I actually wrote a play and put it on Mm -hmm. And uh, through doing that, I kind of thought, oh, cool, I like so. Did you perform in that? You no, in no I didn't perform in that. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just wrote it and yeah. directed it. And, and it was it, a two and a half hour piece. You know, one of these long, I mean, theatre proper length pieces. No, it wasn't. It would be about an hour long. And did your you presented it with students, so so your your peers yeah. in the at the drama school would uh, would be in it. Yeah, and um, your examiners would sit and watch it, would they? Yes. Well, they read the script. That was the main thing. They yeah. they read the script, and because it was my thesis, I had got we at that time, the RSAMD had a link up with Glasgow University. So for the history of theatre classes, we'd go to Glasgow University. So the tutor for my playwriting was from the university. So they, it was them who marked me uh, on the, the sort of writing side. And then the drama school people looked at the production side. So that's <laughs> really nerve-wracking. It sounds so nerve-wracking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, so then you after, how you felt at the time when you put it on? Oh, yeah, very nerve wracking. But, <laughs> but at the same time, it was sort of in a safe environment. Mm. You know, you, you weren't, I mean, I remember the first time I actually did something where people were paying to see it. That was much more nerve wracking. Yeah, I can imagine. Because the stakes are so much higher. 
yeah. and suddenly you think oh this is this is a professional thing this is my life this is maybe how I'm going to make my money but mm -hmm. when you were when you were still within the sort of drama school setup it, it was it was very safe and supportive setup so it wasn't too nerve-wracking compared with what came later <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah. was, it, was it funny uh i'm just trying to remember um i can't imagine you not putting comedy <laughs> into anything yeah some of it was quite funny actually and some of it was quite serious mm -hmm. um and uh, do you want to know what it was about yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> So this, this, the previous summer, like would have been the summer after my second year, before I went to my third year, um, I spent in London because my boyfriend at that point was working at RADA and I was wanting to get a summer job and did to, for two months and, and then we were going to hitchhike around Greece or something like that. And then, <laughs> so um, I... Uh, I applied for this, so I had the evening standard and I applied for this job and in the advert it said, girls, 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 we need a team of um, young girls to do exciting promotion work, meet people and travel. And uh, oh God. So I thought up about that and said, uh, oh yeah, come along, come, come to this place this time and we'll, you know, we'll tell you all about exciting promotion work. <laughs> so I go to this, uh, somewhere, somewhere behind Oxford Street, up this very narrow staircase. And there's mm. a little ante room and there's um, quite a few girls sitting there. <clears throat> and they're nearly either Scottish, Irish or form. Because probably the London girls knew better. <laughs> 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 and um, eventually, uh, it's my turn and I go in and there's this uh, guy in a sort of swivel, swivel chair and a sort of white suit and he says, hello, my darling. Do I detect a little Scottish accent there? <laughs> so um, I, so the, they asked me a few the normal sort of questions and that, and uh, and uh, I said, so what, what is the exciting promotion work exactly? I will get to that. Um, so anyway. Oh God. <laughs> so uh, then it turns out he says, um, would you mind standing up and maybe giving us a little twirl? Oh. <laughs> oh. So. Uh, he said, well, what I'm going to tell you about my love, he said, because you can make a lot of money doing this, is artistic photography. So you can guess mm -hmm. what that was. Artistic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you were so, the model. It, yeah, it was just porn. It was porn, yeah. <laughs> So, so many young girls come to London and they, they just can't make ends meet. He said, <laughs> what we can do is we can give you an awful lot of money. He said, it's very aesthetically pleasing. You know? Yeah, artistic, artistic. artistic. Yeah. So it, was, it was the spiel, of course, my mind's going, <laughs> <laughs> uh, thinking, well, there's no way I'm doing this, but this is very interesting <laughs> conversation. And um, so it, and eventually I said, so yeah, so anyway, what, what is the promotion work? And it was double fucking glazing. That was the exciting promotion work. Oh, Selling sake. double glazing door to door. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. <laughs> oh, out of that, so uh, so the enemy they offered me the, the the job of selling double glazing door to door, and just out of interest, the next day I went along to find out a bit more about it, and because I didn't have a job yet or anything, but also my sort of writer's brain was thinking, I'd quite like to find out a bit more about this about this mm -hmm. setup here, so 
um, I was twinned up with a, a girl from Ireland and I said to her, I said, did you get asked about the artistic photography? <laughs> and she said, yes. She said, she said, what do you think? What do you think? I said, well, I think it's fairly likely that, it, well, I think it is, it's, it's porn, you know, I mean, and, and that's, that's they, they, they're hoping that us, you know, us girls in from the sticks won't be wise enough to realise what's going on. Mm -hmm. And they're promising all this kind of money. Anyway, so there was, there was this, um, <clears throat> there was this room where we were going to get taught how to sell double glazing in five minutes. <laughs> so this girl comes out and she's in this sort of <clears throat> red low-cut dress and, and uh, hair all piled up. And the guy who'd interviewed us the day before says, now girls, he says, this is Lydia. Lydia has got a Ferrari. She's got a flat in Chelsea. And do you know how much money she makes a week? And Lydia is doing artistic photography. <laughs> there you have it. So if you want a nice flat, you want a nice life, do the artistic photography. Believe me, it's worth it. So, so that was the inspiration for my play. Really? That's great. Yeah. So I wrote it around that about a young girl, you know, going to London and getting involved in this and then ultimately getting out of it and, you know, yeah. and, and sort of telling, sort of outing them for yeah. what was going on. So that was kind of the early days of... And you got full marks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, not only that, a BBC producer said to me he would like me to do something with it. Okay, <laughs> which I didn't do. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, he said, well, he said, that's really interesting because a few years before there had been Johnny Go Home, which had, which had been a big thing about a young homeless boy who got used um, by all kinds of, uh, you know, sort of pornographic uh, enterprises. And, mm -hmm. and uh, I think eventually I don't know, I can't remember exactly what happened, but it was a big story at the time mm -hmm. and outing that this was going on. And mm -hmm. so he said, well, we haven't heard it from a female point of view. Um, yeah. We know one at one level, it's probably going on in the back streets of Soho and another level it's going on in Belgravia. Um, and it would be a great thing to explore. But I was just going into my third year at drama school. And uh, so I, yeah. I didn't have time to go to Soho or Belgravia <laughs> and research it. Yeah, of course. But, uh, but that got me started on, on writing. Did, yeah. you not get, did you not get a job in a pub while you were... I did. That's what I ended up doing in Gower Street in London, just along from Radha. That's what I did. I worked in there. So, yeah. I would come in for a pint. Absolutely. That's what I did. I did two jobs, actually. I did that, and I worked in Morris Angels, the Costumiers in Shaftesbury oh. Avenue. Oh, very nice. I did that during the day, and I did the pub two nights a week. So that was me. Sorted, and yeah, the studio yeah. was great fun to work in. I really enjoyed that because okay. quite a few, a few big names. At one point, Raymond Burr came in. Raymond Burr, yeah, um, Perry measure, I had to help measure his shoulders, which were about they <laughs> were, they were <laughs> really broad. Yeah, he was yeah. a big man, wasn't he? So that was an interesting summer. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, of course. Oh, and then you went back to Glasgow. And then, then I went back to Glasgow and, and graduated and started my life in the business. Yeah, well, how on earth did you get into it? I mean, was it really competitive? 
back then or how, you yeah, know, how did you get Yeah, it was. In? I mean, obviously it wasn't probably as overcrowded as it is now because I know that there are many, many more drama courses and musical theatre courses. And I yeah, think when, when I was at college, I think there was only one in Edinburgh and one in Glasgow and that was it. Yeah. So there wasn't quite so much competition, but you had to get an equity card. That was the big thing, which you don't yeah, have to do anymore. Yeah, so you, you had to get an equity card. So my first job, in fact, was at the Theatre Workshop in Edinburgh. Oh, that, was it? That was my first what professional bridge? job, yeah. That was a lovely little theatre, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Bob Palmer yeah. ran it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, my son was in a production there. He mm -hmm. was at Stockbridge Primary, and mm -hmm. he was an extra. <laughs> um, I, he must have gone to, there must have been a, not a course, but I think, they took the kids from school to do, I don't know if it was a weekly class or something, I don't know. But anyway, he was in a wee production there. <laughs> yeah, it was a great place to start, I have to say. It was a what were you doing? Well, um, we did, well, we rehearsed there and then we toured shows, I think. Um, right. I'm trying to remember what they were called, but I, so I did two productions there, which both went on tour. Oh, yeah, no, it was very enjoyable. It's yeah. very exciting as well because you think, oh, I've got a foot in the door, I've got a foot in the door, I've got a start, hurrah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. of course. Because you were up borderline, weren't you? You were the... Yes, then that, that, that came along not long after that because um, I missed out a bit, which was, so, what, yeah, before I went to borderline um, and just on leaving drama school, uh, my friend Patrick Doyle, Pat Doyle, who's now a very famous composer, does mm -hmm. Harry Potter films and his films, Oscar nominated. Wow. Pat, was, Pat was doing the music course while I was doing the drama course and Pat and I wrote two shows and we took them to Edinburgh Festival on our own mm -hmm. for the first time. And that was really, so that was, that was before Theatre Workshop, we, we hadn't got the equity card yet. So, um, that was extremely exciting. Where did you perform them? Where did you put them on? Well, so I had to get in touch with, I think it was Alistair Moffat, and find out how do you get a venue, what do you do? Yeah. So he gave me event. a list of venues and you just, so I just went to Edinburgh one day and, and uh, went to some of the venues and... Most of them were church halls then. Well, this was the best one. It was the one that we eventually got was the Celtic Lodge in the Lawn Market. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was very funny, though, because the guy who was the proprietor uh, owned a bagpipe shop on the Lawn Market. And I can't remember what it was called, but it was very old fashioned. And a wee bell went when you opened the door. So I had to get in there and speak to him. So I, I went in. And honestly, I'm sure he was wearing an Edwardian frock coat. It was very small, proper number. <laughs> and uh, so Pat and I had written, we had two shows, Glass Vegas, um, which Pat had written, Amazing. I'd written the script of. And then we had a late night review, which at that point was called the Late Night Sex Show. <laughs> and we thought, this wee Edwardian guy says, so, lass, so how can I help you, lass? What, what, what's, what's, what is it you're wanting to put on? And I said, well, we've got two shows we'd like to do. And he says, so tell me a bit about them. <laughs> so I started with Las Vegas and I said, well, you know, it's a sort of musical comedy about young people in Glasgow and their adventures and it's got lovely singing. And he said, yeah, that, sounds, that sounds fine. And, and the other one, <laughs> I thought, well, I don't think I can see the late night section. <laughs> so I, I quickly changed it to, it's called the Shabby Showbiz Show. 
And, and what, what's that about then? I said, well, it's just sketches, you know, like Walkman Wise, that kind of thing, and fun. And uh, uh-huh. so, what's your name, lass? And I said, it's Morag Fullerton. Fullerton, that's a fine Covenanter's name. Come with me. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. He took Fulton Shrine to me. He took me over to the Celtic Lodge and let me into the special room with all the insignia, the Mason room. Oh my God. Yeah, and he said, said, there's one of the only two piano organs in the city in here. Come and I'll show you it. (laughs) (laughs) So so thereafter, the late night sections changed the Shabby Shabby Show. I think it was 50p to get in. And uh, we were we had we made our own flyers, and you know it was all done in a Ronio machine. So I think the flyer for the Shabby Shoby Show said featuring a shark and a bare bottom. <laughs> 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 How's that for early publicity? Yeah, yeah. Did you break even on both, or did you lose? Oh, everybody was doing it for nothing, so it it wasn't a proper, you know. So it was all our pals. Mm-hmm. Um, one one friend had Greg Borden stolen. He was working at Dundee Red Lights, and it was all people who went on to do really good things. Trisha Bigger from the Sits, she helped us with the costumes, and Adrian mm-hmm. Atkinson, who worked at the Sits as well, helped us with the designs. Everybody borrowed their parents' cars. So it was it was one of those, but it was terribly exciting. And again, it, it didn't have that fear that you get once you're you're actually having to pay people and, and, and charge a lot of money. It was mm-hmm. still a fun adventure, but um so that that just immediately preceded going to the theatre workshop, which was the first proper professional gig. Mm-hmm. Exciting times. Yeah. <laughs> you get yeah. that through being in Edinburgh or did it wasn't anything to do with you having been at the fringe that you got it through. Got what through? Theatre the, workshop. The theatre workshop. No, I auditioned for them. I just oh. auditioned for them. Yeah. And uh, oh, it might have been. I think one of the people at the theatre workshop had seen one of our shows because I, I was in the I was in the cabaret show, the Shabby Show show. <laughs> I think someone had actually seen that, and then subsequently uh, said I could come and audition, and then I got the job. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So then, when did you? Oh, sorry. No, I was just to say, I always say that you know, if you get one thing out of the fringe, you know, everybody that comes, you know, even if there's not a lot of audience, you, you know, mm. some people seeing you. I mean, <coughs> yeah, I didn't really explain your point there, Karen. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> You explain um, it for me, Katie. <laughs> what she's trying to say is that people see you at the fringe, so it's an arts market, blah, blah, blah. Um, and you get opportunities off the back of it. Anyway, <laughs> what I was going to ask was, what, so when was your first time that you had this sick feeling in your stomach and were charging people to see your work and uh, it was terrifying for you? I think so, that's when I joined Borderline. Yeah. So I got the opportunity to be an associate director through the Arts Council bursary yeah. scheme. Okay. And uh, because the two shows that we'd done at the Edinburgh Festival, I think we'd done four by then, because I think we did two in the final year at drama school. Um, I had directed and I was thinking I was really enjoying that. So I applied and got a bursary with um, the Arts Council. And I did three months at Dundee Rep and then I went to Borderline 
and mm -hmm. was an associate director there. And so my very first production there was a real baptism of fire. So, and I, I, I got the fear like I'd never had before. Because yeah. Basically what happened was the artistic director, it was the pantomime, Eddie. the artistic Eddie. director who was called Campbell Morrison. All right, who's Eddie? Eddie Jackson's the administrator, general manager. And yeah. he was there for before and after me. He's, he, yeah. he spent his life there, really. Uh, and so the artistic director uh, had, I can't remember if he'd got sacked or fallen out or something had happened anyway. And I was the um, associate. And anyway, I was told I had to take over and the rehearsals were halfway through. And so it's just like, you'll have to finish this off. You'll have to take over. And the, um, artistic, the artistic director's girlfriend who was in the show um, playing the Govan Ferry, well, Alex, Alex Norton had written the show, um, she left as well because she um, was supporting her husband or her partner who had been sacked. And then somebody else left as well. <laughs> they didn't agree with what was going on. Anyway, so I was left with a cast of two and I had to replace the rest of them at very short notice. So I had to get four actors in position very quickly because the show couldn't be canceled because it was a pantomime and schools were booked and everything like that. So I had got, um, <clears throat> I got Terry Neeson to come and play the Govan Ferry, Ferry. Uh, <laughs> and, um, I got uh, Gregor Fisher to come. Was, was, were, was she a star then? Because she was, she she was uh, probably a rising star. Yeah. I mean, she'd been in Wildcat, and people knew she had a wonderful voice. And I got uh, I got everyone and sorted apart from I hadn't sorted out who someone to play the wizard. And I, Alex Norton was phoning every day saying, "What the fuck's going on? What's happening? What's you know? Is, is this show happening or what? And who are you anyway?" Like, oh, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Yes, we're. Um, and and he was very happy to hear about Terry Neeson and Gregor Fisher. However, the guy I cast as the wizard, I had seen him in a play called The Bevelers a few weeks previously at the pavilion and he was a very good actor I thought and it was a bit old and doddery and I, I thought the wizard was written like that oh my name is Mr Merlin and I'm this I'm a magician and so I cast him so Alex is on the phone so so, so what's happening what's happening so who, who did you get for the wizard and I said um, well I got uh, uh, Jimmy Kennedy it's a big long silence he said you fucking what and I said, well, I, I, I saw him in the Bevelers last week and he was, he was really good. He said, you fucking dimwit. He said, he's an alcoholic. He's got tunnel vision and he's a manic depressive. And you have fucking cast him as the wizard in a children's panther. And he slammed the phone down. <laughs> so I was in tears. Oh, I was God. devastated. Because yeah. I thought he was really good. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Jimmy, Jimmy has now left the planet, but he won't mind me telling this. Um, and so in rehearsals, it became apparent that there were certain problems. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't do magic tricks. It was just... Was it Alex was, Norton in the panto? No, he wrote it. Oh, he wrote it? He wrote it. Oh. It was the premiere, the world premiere of his panto, his first oh. ever panto. And it, yeah, and um, it was going on in the Magnum Centre in Irvine. Oh so, um, 
so the you know it became apparent that Jimmy was really struggling with doing the magic trips so they were simplified and simplified and then a couple of times he turned up late in rehearsals and a few times I found him lying on the floor oh god <laughs> god and anyway well, so we get, we get to the experience for you going forward yeah. we get to the opening night and uh it seems to be going all right until at one point, you know, the bit where you do the spell and there's a drum roll and the lights go out and there's a flash and a blackout mm-hmm. and then the lights came up. So Mr. Merlin cast the spell and got the audience to shout out and a <laughs> drum roll, lights down, gunpowder goes off, lights up, no Jimmy. <laughs> oh my God. All I heard was Alex Norton's breath at my neck saying, you fucking idiot <laughs> oh, Jesus. So I thought that was the beginning and the end of my career <laughs> Alex didn't speak to me for seven years is that true really oh, my so we're best of friends now but it, so I, it was the the fear was big I don't think did I've you not manage to, to make this man sober <laughs> no he had to be recast unfortunately I, it, you know uh, it, oh, it was a big lesson for me as well yeah of course. I, I should have made phone calls and checked around and I just I saw him on stage and thought it was wonderful yeah. he was he was a very good actor I just yeah. didn't we had all these problems but these well, are the things you learn on the way well this is it so and I uh, think you always cast very well well I thank you Karen I like to think so and maybe because of that incident yeah exactly <laughs> you've learned <laughs> <laughs> well, how did you get into television um directing okay. from so, I was, yeah, so then I became, eventually became artistic director of Borderline. And while, so I, I did that for like five or six years. And then I wanted to spread my wings. And, and um, I applied for a couple of other artistic director's positions, which I didn't get, like the Tron. And it was very male dominated in those days, I have to say. Of course it was. It was, there was no other women directors apart from Joan um, at, I forgot the surname, sorry, jo- at Perth Theatre, Perth Rep, Joan Knight, mm-hmm. who had been there for quite a long time. The landscape was male, white male dominated. There was mm-hmm. no women and it was very, very difficult to break through. And uh, so I thought, oh, I, I thought I'm never going to get another job running a theatre and, uh, you know, I don't want to move backwards. Yeah. And uh, I thought I would like to work in film and television. So... Uh, I found out about the BBC Drama Directors course, which <clears throat> was highly competitive. They only took on four people a year and they were nearly all from down south. But mm. I was doing uh, one of Dario, I did a lot of Dario Fo's first ever work in UK and Scotland, and a lot of it never been done before or translated before. And I was doing a production called Trumpets and Raspberries with Andy Gray and Elaine C. Smith and I absolutely stonking cast and it was a huge hit. Wasn't Alan Cumming in it? Alan Cumming was in it. That was at Murray House wow. Theatre. We yeah. did that. I went to wow. see it. Yeah and it was it was it, it was just sell out word go it's great. Yeah. And fortunately a BBC producer um came to see it and I had to get a reference from someone who worked in television and I wrote to her and I said you know because it word had come back she'd really loved the show. And so I got a couple of references, plus Bill Bryden, who was then head of television at BBC Scotland, um, gave me a reference as well. And then 
thought that was my cat. And then uh, I, I went to London and got interviewed and was very lucky, got on the course. And so, right. I mean, that, that is a great way to start because it's, it's a prestigious course. You learn a huge amount. And what was great about the course was every year they take on four people from theatre. And the assumption was, you know how to work with actors, you know how to work with scripts. We're just going to demystify the technical side. So, yeah. which was great. So they didn't yeah. waste time, you know, telling you how to run a rehearsal or look at a script. Mm. It was like, this is how you make film work. This is how cameras work. Yeah, and right. like within a week, we were on the East Enders set when it was empty, you know, yeah. using their sets, doing a car chase. It was a fantastic course. And so that was my start in television. So literally within months of finishing it, I got a job in television. So it was great. Wow. And yeah. was that just a year long course? No, it wasn't even that. It was only four months. Oh, was it? Well, my God. Yeah. So it was, it was, it was, as I say, you know, within a week, you were actually directing scenes on the EastEnders set. You, you know, it was in at the deep end. And then at the end of each week, they'd, they'd look at everything you'd shot and you'd get a post-mortem, you know, they'd look at it and say, well, what's wrong with that? What's missing? You forgot to do a wide shot. You didn't do a close-up. You never saw the murderer's hand, you know, so (laughs) it was great. Yeah. Yeah. And what was your first TV gig? It was, I was very, again, very fortunate in this, that it was a one-off drama called Madame Montand and Mrs. Miller. And it was about Marla Monroe and Simone Signore at the hairdressers getting their roots done. They were getting their blonde roots done. I remember that. By a Jewish New York hairdresser who was played by Libby Morris. Uh And what was great about it was, the tension in the piece was because Marlon Monroe was having an affair with Simone Signore's husband. Mm-hmm. And Marlon was very insecure about her acting ability, whereas Simone Signore had just won an Oscar and was yeah. very secure in her acting ability, but insecure about her marriage. Yeah, of course. So there was this wonderful tension in it. And um, yeah. yeah, and Libby Morris was fantastic playing the Jewish New York hairdresser. Yeah. Yeah. And do you have a preference to working on stage or screen? Do you, do you... I really enjoy them both. They're very different. But, yeah, are they? Uh, I, yeah, I enjoy them both because I, I just love working with actors and scripts and the collaborative process. So, yeah. yeah but now you seem, you seem to have given your life to play pie in a pint. Well, not my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of years, a few years. But... Uh-huh. But within that, uh, funnily enough, I sort of started doing a bit of television again. I, I did go back to directing River City last year and I've just written a script for them. And I've got oh, another good. project in with the television just now, which Robbie Coltrane is attached to. So um, watch this space. Yeah, great. Uh, yeah. I think it's, it's difficult sometimes when you're based in Scotland to keep the television up, work up. And the reason, I I, one of the reasons, not just because I think Play by the bit's a good re- good thing to do. I wanted I'd been working in Manchester almost solidly for five years, and I wanted to stay at home. My partner was ill. I wanted to spend some time at home, and this came up, and I thought I'll work on this just now. Which um, I have to say is partly labour of love. It's mm-hmm. very full on, very low paid, but very enjoyable. You know, working with new scripts all the time and lots of great talent coming through. Yeah, it must be great to see all the new talent. That, yeah, lots of, yeah, and quite a few of the shows have gone on to the Edinburgh Festival. I think a few, yeah. few were plat- sometimes seen at the Guild. That's, that's what I was going to say. That's what's frustrating as well, is that 
you see you put on so many good productions and where do they go from there some of them can't have a life after you know? i know that's and, that, that. and that's sad isn't it it is it, it, it is sad because uh that, you know a lot of them will just disappear but yeah I, the part you know at, at the same time quite that more and more of them have been going on to another life so you know i, mean, mm -hmm. I think i think one of the issues is that the play pint and pint plays tend to be sort of 50 minutes mm -hmm. and theatres really are looking for something 75 minutes and beyond yeah you know or with yeah. an interval so there's bars the, the, yeah. the bar business but mm -hmm. um but also it's a good calling card for a lot of these writers you know some of them have yeah. got television and radio gigs out of it gone to the festival so you know it's still but, very well um yeah it means it's all stopped for the moment we're in a oh yeah bubble <laughs> yeah <laughs> what are you feeling uh well can very concerned actually like mm -hmm. you must be as well carmen very Peter. very very yeah. very very worrying i mean i you know and, and the the whole landscape has changed and will it ever be the same i know so, i mean i i worry about this social distancing that that um theater houses you know you need to to sell well and if it's a 500 seater it'll go down to 250 or you know a 250 seater will go down to 125 you know yeah so i i, I don't know how i mean I, I guess we'll know a bit more in a couple of months time but you know mm -hmm. you think well if everyone was tested and there was a way there was a barcode system or something so that mm -hmm. everyone coming to theater was was clear of the virus that might was, be yeah. and i keep thinking can you not invent something but more sophisticated like the gas masks they had during the war because <laughs> everybody had a gas mask and i say yeah. well there surely has to be a very sophisticated version of that yeah. A neat one. yeah that you can sit next to people and in the theater on trains on planes you know nobody's come up with it yet but there has to be something like that yeah that allows people to sit in close proximity and i mean you know as we were saying before karen the demand for live entertainment's going to be huge yeah but it's not viable to have people sitting two meters apart no no but i think if there's universal testing and there is a system whereby you know you you know if 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 people are virus free yeah it's safe then hopefully that will work or or some kind of sophisticated mask system yeah how have you found lockdown personally what are you have you still been working full-time or how's it been no i'm i'm just doing a little some part-time work and then i'm trying to get on with a few writing projects of my own mm -hmm. uh but i've also suffered a bit i think a lot of creative people have been saying from a kind of lockdown lather, lethargy yeah you, know, you suddenly think well i've got all this time and i know use it and um yeah, it must know, be creative I want to be creative and then I know I speak to an artist friend next door and she was saying the same thing she said there's so many things I've been wanting to do but somehow maybe it's the lack of adrenaline or the lack of a deadline mm -hmm. it's, it's quite hard to to get going you know really yeah I think well they say that Shakespeare wrote his best work during the plague <laughs> 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 yeah, but well, it's like it the anxiety. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, probably. But it's the anxiety that everyone's going through of this unknown situation, and also the the kind of pressure that we put on ourselves. Like we must 
this must time time must be used for something creative and doing our best work and I find that pressure just stifles anything that I was trying to do. Yeah, I think you're right, Katie. I think it's a bit draining because I stopped mm -hmm. doing that because another of my friends, she makes documentaries and she said, Maura, calm down, just chill. You've been working <laughs> for like 30 years. It's okay. It's okay to have some downtime. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. and but, but it's downtime. Oh, yeah, sorry. No, I was just going to say there's downtime and there's downtime. I mean, yeah. You know, yeah. No, no, I, I think it's, uh, you know, and I worry for all the, performers as well mm. you know because yeah. they're they're sort of you know in and out of theaters and 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 television and film work and they they already have gaps in their work and you know they must be looking ahead and thinking god is, is this going to be a year of nothing or yeah. I mean, at least some of us who, who like i can do a bit of writing which which is something mm -hmm. but i think if you're a performer it must be a bit more terrifying i noticed that you're putting you're putting some work online yes yes doing that and and, yeah, and so how's the response been been fantastic so we put we've only got a few more to do so we put uh, three of the shows which had been filmed professionally so they were good enough to show on on online mm -hmm. um and each one of them got about 13 1400 views and we'd asked yeah. for donations for the nhs as well so and, and so we, we raised some money for the nhs yeah, which that's great. Great. but we only have i think there's only a couple more left but i came up with another initiative which uh, you'll be the first to hear of. <laughs> it's, it's just trying to stay connected with the audience and I think the performers as well. I we thought we'd do um, an open call for pint-sized plays. So plays of no more than three minutes. Mm -hmm. Just You just put them on you know, Facebook or Twitter and yeah. hashtag play pint a pint. Uh, but, yeah, but, but yeah, scenes from home can be yeah. with, with you, your dog, your kids, the goldfish, whatever. But just, <laughs> I think something that lends as well is sort of fun and manageable can be as silly yeah. as you want or as serious as you want. Not too daunting yeah, because, a task. Because I think as well, I don't know how long the appetite for watching theatre online will last. I mean, I, yeah. I, I think I think everybody's made an effort to 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 stay connected to audience and put things on, but it just ain't the same, is it? No, no. And Not we're doing Sofa Setlist, which is interesting to see what what performers are sending to us. I mean, it, it's quite remarkable, some of it, isn't it? Yeah, it's amazing what some yeah. people have been able to do, and it does make you laugh, but yeah, you don't have the same, it's not all consuming as a performance is, obviously, so. Mm -hmm. um, so, a stand-up trying to, to say a punchline and it being, and so, you know. It, yeah, you need that buzz, you need that spark yeah, yeah, that yeah. between you and the audience, so, especially so it, comedy. Yeah, yeah. So it's having to be other a creative in another way, you know, more yeah. visual and you know. Have you yeah. watched any much online? Have you watched? Not any really. Again? I know. I've watched. I, I find as well after about ten minutes. <laughs> I think I you know, unless it's easy to get distracted, isn't it? You know, and it's a bit of a busman's holiday. I mean, I like going to see shows and cabarets and comedy yeah. but it's all about the buzz as well you know yeah. the thing is there is nothing like live performance yeah yeah you know and that's what we have to bring back and we will we, we will bring it back karen we <laughs> absolutely will yeah. now i've got a question for you about your mum tell oh. me what life lessons did you learn from your mum um 
so uh you said a few already yeah i'm i i, I think um, she, was, she was a loving person yeah. and she was a very fair person um you know and you 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 know she didn't suffer fools gladly and you wouldn't get away with bad behavior my dad was much softer Mm -hmm. um because he was a bit of a teary i think <laughs> so between them they were quite a good balance yeah uh, um i think she was a nurturing person um and she, you know she she would know when to give you a cuddle or when oh. to, you were allowed to get slapped in those days as well <laughs> <laughs> yeah she'd know when to slap you know when to hug you yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and i think just being a nice person and being kind and you know caring and things like that she was you know i remember when my granny was ill and i thought oh god do i have to go and see her <laughs> and i remember saying well more like one day you'll be maybe like that and you want your grandchildren to, you know she would she was that kind of person you know and mm, um, yeah. she was just a lovely person yeah that was lovely yeah and so what's next for you um oh well i just Maybe working with you guys again. <laughs> yeah, <that'd be> nice. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. When we do, when we do the, we'll be the comeback queens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll get something on that stage. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, a couple of projects I'm working on. You know, the, the theatre things we're fingers crossed about. Yeah. So, and then as what's well, the future for Play Pie and a Pint at the moment? Where are you kind of think what what's going on? <laughs> what where's your head at with it? Are you just God, pausing? It, well, I I don't think we'll know much more for a few months. I don't think so um, either. Yeah. Every, everything, the the program, which was for the spring, that was cancelling ten shows. Mm -hmm. so that was so disappointing yeah, for everyone, um, especially when some of them as well are people's first shows as well. And they, mm -hmm. you know, so I mean, I, I think about yeah. what we would like to do as a Christmas show with you and you always write the panto for mm -hmm. Autumn Moore, don't you? Yes. Um, and that you do two or three shows a day. Yeah. I mean, yeah. maybe maybe there'll be a bit of social distancing and you do five shows a day. <laughs> <laughs> but the panto season is what the season that carries so many theatres isn't it it's yeah. right katie i mean that the panto's getting cancelled is devastating and i've yeah. had quite a few are cancelled really have yeah. you on the tron is cancelled is um, it what yeah they've announced it's not doing panto i think we have to be positive um, yeah and, and you know because i think everybody's been you know racking their brains to think of ways through this and mm -hmm. you know we've all been putting stuff online and i saw i saw someone had posted a theater in germany with socially distant seats and it just looked ridiculous yeah you it's know, yeah you like, yeah i saw that yeah, you know they said that they only get a third of their income and that's mm -hmm. not enough no no of course uh, and also you you have to allow for the fact that there'll be a lot of people still weary you know yeah so. Well, I want to thank you very much for all the work you do. You <laughs> are a very funny writer. Yeah. Um, the shows that you've written and I've been involved with have all been fantastic. And I want you to keep on doing what you're doing. Oh, yeah. Thank you. I look forward to working together very soon. I hope so. <laughs> I, love you. I love working with you guys too. We'll do it again. Yes, we will. will. We will. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Mama said there'll be days like this. There'll be days.